Welcome, everybody, to our first podcast. Our podcast is called MHD Off the Record, where we discuss South Los Angeles, the issues that are important to us, and what we can do to create the kind of community that we all deserve to live in. Our first conversation will be about one of the leading topics in our community, and that is public safety and justice. Public safety continues to be a challenge, and we know that if we are not safe in our homes, in our streets, in our schools, that we cannot live up to our true potential and have the kind of community we deserve. Public safety continues to be a challenge. Our community is often asked to choose between safety and justice. I believe that we can have both. And one person that has helped push forward uh, that idea and help bring it into reality is a good brother of mine by the name of Akilah Shirelles. We met back in the early 1990s uh, after the 1992 civil unrest. He was part of a burgeoning movement of gang interventionists, uh, helped uh, negotiate a big gang truce after the 1992 civil unrest while I was becoming a, a new community organizer working with Karen Bass at Community Coalition. And so we will now hear his formal uh, bio and move on into the conversation with the one and only Akila Shirelles. Akila Shirelles' dedication to ending violence and promoting community-based public safety began in Watts, California. He joined the Grape Street Crips at age 19. And then Akila and Hall of Fame NFL star Jim Brown co-founded the Amer I Can Program Incorporated. From 1989 to 1999, more than 400,000 adult and juvenile inmates in 16 states were trained in the Americana curriculum. Akila and his brothers created the Community Self-Determination Institute in 1999 to tackle those personal and social issues, including post-traumatic stress disorder. He serves as a senior advisor to the Alliance for Safety and Justice Shared Safety Initiative. He's also a board member of the Alliance for Safety and Justice and the chairman of the board for the Newark Community Street Team. Welcome, Akila. Thank you so much, brother, for having me. It's uh, so good to have you. We've known uh, each other for a lot of years. And uh, before the mics came on, we were catching up uh, a little bit. Uh, eager to hear how you spent the last 18 months during this uh, during the COVID pandemic. Man, the last 18 months of the pandemic, um, I was basically, um, you know, sheltering in place in Newark, in the, in, in my my apartment. Um, it was great uh, with with my partner actually. Um, you know, Julie uh, was here as well. You know, and um, we, uh, man, we it, it was it was intense. You know, at one point, uh, you know, about halfway through, we. Um, we, we rented a car um, in Newark and drove and drove to LA, you wow. know? Yeah, man, just to kind of like break up some of the, some of the monotony and, sure. you know, intensity of, you know, uh, being in, you know, in a, in a shared space, you know, and, and also dealing with everything that was happening, you know, um, with public health and public safety stuff, right? I can dig and it. so, yeah, yeah, it was intense. And, and what are you doing now? So we're, we're kind of, sort of, kind of, maybe out of COVID. Uh, and how are you handling that now? Oh, man, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a spa junkie. And so, you know, as uh, soon as the spas open back up, um, you, know, uh, you know, I was back on my self-care routine, catching live music when I, when I can. Um, but also, you know, um, uh, spending a lot of time like you know working and kind of building infrastructure and stuff in terms of you know uh the work that we're, we're doing in, in terms of you know shifting public safety narrative in this country right i mean that that is like my first love i'm like i you know fortunate to really really love what i do 
and uh, and it's great that I get paid, you know, for it too. There you go. There you go. You've been able to turn it into a vocation. Uh, question yes, for you, and I ask this question especially to you because you're one of the people I think about when I think about this reality. Uh, you think about Los Angeles in 1989, you think about LA and frankly, a lot of other big cities in 2021 and, uh, violence is way lower. Community violence is way lower. Homicides are way lower. Uh, all levels, all kinds of crime are, uh, and, and community violence are way lower, but the feel of things, uh, is different, uh, as well. So we have, uh, every time there's a homicide, every time we lose somebody, it, never seems like it makes sense. Um, but the logic of what's going on in the streets now seems to be shifting or seems to have shifted. And I'm eager to hear uh, your thoughts on, on what's happening in our streets now versus what the sort of historic trends between, you know, this set and that set and a, you know, a 10 or a 20 or 30 year beef that goes on and, you know, a fight over a park or over a basketball game or over, a, you know, uh, a place where people can do business. Uh, how do you see that time different from now? Um, you know, I, I think that today, you know, we have a lot more infrastructure in terms of, um, you know, systems and services that help people um, like in their respective healing journey. And, you know, in 89, it's like it was the cry for help. Right. Um, the system had labeled us gang members and, and not to say that there wasn't gangs existed, but. You know, when people thought gang, they thought, you know, mafia, centralized, you know, organized and, you know, black American gangs have never been centralized and organized. They've always been de decentralized and, and fractured um, because it was primarily, you know, surrogate families like being formed out of the real, you know, killer, which has been poverty um, and quality of life stuff that has actually produced like kind of 70 percent of the violence that you see happening in the neighborhood. So. You know, back then, um, there was a lot less infrastructure, you know, um, things like trauma weren't popular terms, you know, right, um, right. traumatic stress disorder, you know, we didn't even talk about those things, but there was, I mean, it was horrific, as you know, um, in terms of the, the level of violence. Today, we have a lot better language. Um, I think we have a lot more infrastructure. And at the same time, I think that, uh, that things are still a bit disconnected um, in, in, in terms of how we're coordinating like uh, services to be able to meet the needs of people. Um, I mean, you, we still have a 41% clearance rate. You know what I'm saying? Still, you know, a lot of people who harm people that are still like, you know, in the field. I still feel like um, like in, in 2021, you know, right now we having this, you know, public health and public safety crisis. Um, you know, the, the, the death of George Floyd was, uh, was a, another inflection point, you know, similar to, you know, the Rodney King. I mean, even bigger yeah. in a sense. And the idea of like kind of reimagining public safety um, I think finally, you know, we're we're kind of right. positioning the people, you know, the public in in public safety um, as a part of the equation and as a part of the solution, and and those who are most impacted, right? Um, because that's always been a hard thing in terms of law enforcement's relationship to safety, right? Because they feel like they own the safety paradigm that even individuals who were formerly justice involved, who who utilize their skills and talents, to, you know, to help reduce violence and crime in the neighborhood. You know, we're seen as suspect, you know, and in this public health, you know, framing now that we approach this work, we understand that those who are mostly impacted should be equipped with the, the skills, the tools and the resources to, you know, to uh, to to eradicate, you know, um, the disease of violence. And um, and so 
that's that's probably the, you know how I see like the difference between um, then you know, and now. And between. and you're so right about the infrastructure. I can remember the early days with with you know you and Bo Taylor and uh, uh, Skid and all those guys. I remember the relationship with law enforcement was. Uh, one of skepticism on both sides. Uh, right. You know, you all were skeptical of the of the police, and the police were skeptical of you. And uh, now that's that's turned around uh, completely. Uh, you now have a formal organization. It's national in nature. Uh, it has significant responsibility in public safety and really shares the public safety space with formal sure. uh, law enforcement and with the government. Uh, it's called the Reverence Project. Can you just talk some about that and and let the people know? Uh, sort of what it is, how you built it, and, and uh, what your hopes and dreams are for that organization. Well, the Reverence Project is actually um, uh, our local agency um, in the Watts community that is a direct service provider in terms of victim services, in terms of you know redefining public safety with uh, the, the community signals program um, that basically teaches civic education and, and, um, and public safety policy. Uh, to local folks, as well as very practical skills, you know, in terms of conflict resolution and mediation through the Professional Community Intervention Training Institute. This is a joint project that the Reverence Project and PCITI um, co-created and, and run um, actually in Newark and um, and in Watts, um, our fifth cohort, we actually just recently graduated. Um, we, we also, you know, host healing circles, you know, thank you brother for, um, for you know, your vision around that. Um, I think this has been two years now mm -hmm. um, that, that we've been, you know, engaged with Dr. Grills and, and the whole team in terms of holding healing circles um, and, and, um, and, and space for folks. Um, we also do healing journeys. We actually take folks to the spa and we provide direct victim services through, through that particular model. But the national organization that you speak of that we recently launched um, um, back in March is the Community-Based Public Safety Collective. This entity is basically an umbrella organization for um, community-based public safety initiatives. We, we used to call, you know, street outreach or gang intervention programs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, in, in March, about 20 of the key thought leaders from across the country got together and we produced a report, um, a national scan we called it um, Redefining Public Safety in America, in which um, we redefined, we defined ourselves and our, our, our work, uh, our body of work as community-based public safety because we're like, it's more than just like, you know, street outreach and intervention um, are, are components of community-based public safety, you know? Um, and, and so we, we wanted to talk about the breadth of our work, the 25 plus years that it's been around now, um, where it um, has evidence-based results, as well as, you know, anecdotal community support um, with and without law enforcement, you know, in terms of reductions. And, you know, we believe that you know, now is the time to position this work as a complementary strategy, not an alternative to policing, as a complementary strategy to policing. Because the reality is, is that we put entirely too much pressure on our cops to be lawyers, teachers, therapists, counselors. We want them to be that's everything. Right, that's right. And so a lot of the collateral damage and unintended consequences that we see come out of policing is, is a result of, of, of multiple things, right? Of course, the systemic racism that, is, that exists within the culture and the cowboy type, you know, nature, you know, if a cop even mentions that he is having an emotional or psychological um, like distress, I mean, they will rubber gun you and desk you. If you're a black cop, you know, brown cop, you know, you probably got one foot out the door. Threatens people's ability to provide for their families. I mean, they, folks didn't become cops because they wanted to bust people upside the head. You know, it's a very stressful environment, like, you know, um, internally and externally, right? Um, in terms of witnessing some of the worst things, you know, in the culture um, sometimes consistently. 
has a huge impact, you know, um, on, on a person's um, psyche. And and we want we want our cops to show up, you know, uh, healthy and, and, and rooted in their humanity so That's they right. can use the public properly, right? And so, but this the, the collective's work is essentially about helping to build the capacity of, of, of community-based public safety initiatives, um, you know, like all of those that exist on the grid in LA um, and in multiple cities across the country that, that go under different names like Cure Violence or the National Network of Safe Communities, GBI or Advanced Peace or, or UPI, you know, like all, all of these initiatives that do work, you know, um, there's a business, right, um, to community-based public safety. And I think that, um, that um, we sell ourselves short when we don't um, put um, like concrete systems in place where we professionalize the entire movement, um, where we document our success so that we can take credit for our work when we actually reduce violence and crime in neighborhoods. And also that we contribute, you know, complementary tools to things like crime stats that don't say nothing about people's safety, whether or not people feel safe. So we need to develop like complementary, like kind of surveys and tools that complement, you know, this, this data that that um, that we've been utilizing forever to try to speak to whether or not people feel safe. I mean, people are safe, and it, it does not say that, right? Yeah. So we're. I mean, we're. We we recently, um, you know, Marquis, I, I know you know about this. Uh, last month, uh, launched a national initiative with the White House, um, yeah. the White House um, Community Violence Initiative. Um, I mean, um, intervention um, initiative. Um, 16 cities, um, jurisdictions across the country. LA is one of those jurisdictions. Four intermediary um, technical assistance providers who do this work, Cities United, um, the Hobby, uh, the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform, and the uh, the collective, the Community-Based Public Safety Collective, are partnering to um, provide like kind of technical assistance and training to help build the capacity of organizations to meet the need of this 5.2 billion, which is our long-term strategy that the president has set aside for community finance intervention work, but also to be able to um, meet the need of some of the federal grants that the president and the attorney general um, retool um, these formula grants to be able to meet um, community-based organizations on the ground. So we're we're, we're excited about um, this initiative. It's gonna roll out in the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, we, we hope to impact um, you know, public safety in, in, in these respective cities across the country, um, especially next summer, right? Because for 30 probably consecutive years, violence speaks in the summertime yep. and, and we haven't developed a comprehensive strategy. And, and, and we're so we're so excited that the White House is taking the lead on this. I mean, you know, um, Ambassador Rice and, uh, and, and Director Rodriguez um, has been really driving this initiative along, you know, with the president um, to make to make this thing happen. And so we're excited about Ex it. Excellent. That's exciting. Uh, that's exciting stuff. How can everyday people, uh, people in communities, people in churches, people in community-based organizations uh, get involved in this work? What, what's your best recommendation for how folks can involve themselves? I would say that, uh, that you know, people like usually kind of join things based upon like kind of their emotional needs and stuff. I, I would say that, uh, you know, that um, there, there's a lot, you know, that's happening, you know, in, in communities, um, you know, where we can volunteer our time, you know, or um, through through social media, which is, a, a, I think, also a good vehicle where we can make connections. So, you know, uh, one of the things is, is that I would say, um, you know, seek out, you know, um, organizations in your community and get involved. Um, in, in my neighborhood, it's the Watch Gang Task Force. Um, that happens on Monday mornings at 10 a.m. You know, if you want to know about public safety and what's happening in the community, um, you can attend those meetings and, and, and learn something about, like, you know, what's going on in the community, right? Um, I, I say social media platforms like, you know, like Marquise's show, right? This is dope. 
you know, there, there are quite a few like kind of different type of podcasts that are happening, like, you know, out there where you can get informed about, um, you know, issues around public safety, around, um, uh, you know, community involvement, um, you know, community organizing, uh, organizations like COCO in the city. Go and volunteer your time and, and you'd be surprised, like, you know, what you learn. Um, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's uh, COCO is Community Coalition and Brother Crusade and Watts Gang Task Force on Monday mornings, uh, a host of things to do. Uh, in our community. Uh, what are the main things you think will help reduce community violence? Uh, you know, the, the main things that I think would help reduce community violence is um, investing in community-based um, infrastructure. That we need to train residents as public safety professionals in conflict resolution, mediation, de-escalation strategies through a trauma-informed lens, right? How to do this work, how to engage your neighbors, you know, properly, like, um, how to address your own trauma, right? We, we, need to, um, uh, we need to build out like kind of more systems and institutions um, uh, in neighborhoods that, um, that, that support folks being able to resolve their conflicts peacefully. And then we have to like put more like kind of systems in place um, in, in terms of healing services and healing support and, 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 you know, alternative healing technologies as well, not just, you know, like kind of Eurocentric, like kind of, um, you know, mental health and therapeutic, That's right. you know, things like that. But, you know, more yoga classes, more somatics, you know, more, um, you know, Korean spas, man. Like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm big on spas because hydrotherapy, aromatherapy, like, you know, those are, you know, really powerful tools. I think that the That's Korean right. community has a really profound theology around health. In, in terms of having, you know, um, that as a resource in the neighborhood. I like uh, it. I, I also think that uh, that we, we have to invest in these, you know, like comprehensive healing, um, you know, centers in the community. Um, in addition to, um, as I said, more community-based public safety initiatives. Like, I think that uh, GRID, you know, has done an exceptional job over the years in terms of um, partnering with law enforcement to reduce violence and crime um, in communities. Um, I think that it's time that we invest in, in more um, infrastructure, you know, within those systems so that uh, that they can gain a little bit more autonomy in terms of their role so that they can so that they can um, that that uh, we can incentivize peace in terms of um, uh, increases people's participation in the public safety process, because until we um, kind of pull public safety out of the abstract and, and, and get um, and, and get people to own safety in their own respective communities. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna consistently see bias, yeah. And you know where people don't have access to, uh, to, to, to institutions. That's right. That's right. That's right. So MHD, let me Sir. ask you a question. Yes. What will help reduce community violence? Well, you know, uh, thank you for the question, Akila. I think you know I've learned from experts like you over the years as a community activist, and I think I, I find, um, certainly taking a big picture view that people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs have to be met. And so people need some place to be, they need something to do, they need someone to love, and they need something to live for. And if those things are out of place, almost every community in the world, uh, human beings tend to solve those problems or confront those issues uh, with some form of violence. And, and in our community, it's it's been gang violence. And so my work as an elected official is really to make sure people's basic needs are met. And so you see the challenges we have here in Los Angeles with housing, uh, certainly with safe places to be, uh, with something meaningful for people to do, uh, whether it's in the education system or as a job, and then something to live for, something that gives people hope, whether it's their family, 
whether it's you know building an organization or trying to bring something into existence that is bigger than themselves, uh, every human being has to have that, and and it's really our job to to strive towards creating the condition where those things are possible. Right. Wow, man. And tell tell me about Safe Passage and the and the Community Safety Initiative. Well, you know, similar to the Newark Community Street Team. Um, and a lot of the organizations that you've been associated with since the early 90s uh, as a result of uh, spikes in, in uh, violent crime over the years, this idea of safe passages uh, came into being. And, and what we really did over the past uh, two years when we saw a spike is we tried to look at it uh, as a comprehensive strategy or comprehensive intervention. So safe passage, get, making sure people can get from school to home safely, school to the library, school to the park or whatever. Uh, also making sure that there were the healing circles because we, the more we learned about trauma and, and you really were a leader in this, uh, one thing that happens in our community is children witness violence. We have traumatic events in our community. In middle class and upper class communities, you get to go to a therapist or a group or uh, something to deal with that. In our community, they just tell you to go to school, pull your pants up, don't be late, and, and don't act out. Uh, and so we formed healing circles so that folks have a place uh, to do the work of healing. And they do it in a, on a peer basis, not where there's some professional telling them, like, this is what you need to do, and I'm separate from you. It is someone saying, like, oh, I went through something like that, and I live on your block, and here's what helped get me, uh, uh, get me through. And so... In the summer of 2019, uh, our community intervention workers provided almost 5,000 hours of safe passage patrols. Uh, we intervened on over uh, three dozen events uh, through de-escalation de and trying to uh, mitigate uh, uh, further violence and literally uh, hundreds of folks participated in healing circles over those summers. Yes, sir. What, what other um, public safety projects are you working on? You know, something I'm really excited about and, and, and hopefully if we can get this done here in LA, I think it'll happen in other cities is, you know, one of the most uh, traumatic experiences every young African-American, I think many Latinos have is that traffic stop. Uh, you know, whether it's you in the car with your dad or your uncle or your cousin, or you in the car by yourself, an officer stops you, you know, they walk up to your window with the hand on the gun and say license and registration, please. And uh, then they go back to their car and they type out on a computer while another officer stands away from your car with their hand on their gun. Like for some reason, they're going to need to shoot you. Um, uh, we think we can end this and move basic traffic stops away from being a confrontation that is tainted with the tenor of violence uh, to one that's done like any other interaction with the government. You know, when, it, when, a, when a store owner breaks uh, a health code, nobody shows up with a gun. Uh, when you cheat on your taxes, nobody shows up with a gun. Uh, and we think that when everyday people have a broken taillight or expired tags or uh, maybe roll through a stop sign, they shouldn't be confronted uh, by a government worker with a gun. They should be confronted by a government worker and, and get those actions corrected. Uh, but that person doesn't need to be armed. And we think that this will free up officers to deal uh, with more serious issues and be more engaged and more knowledgeable about the communities they're policing in. And it will reduce the trauma. I don't know a young person uh, that doesn't have a story about when the cops pull them over or their family over. And I, I think that's we can move past that. And I think it will do so much to advance the relationship between law enforcement and the community. 
I think I think that's powerful. Um, you know, MHD. That's that's a powerful piece. Um, and and you know, love to see that you know come to fruition. You know, there's a huge challenge in getting people engaged and involved. You know, um, with the work. Um, what have you observed? You know, um, how have you been able to work and get the community engaged? You know, I think you you put to the community something that's a very um, common sense thing, but not often spoke about. And that is people can have justice and safety. They don't have to pick, uh, right? So a lot of times when we get involved in activism and we get upset with the police, you know, we, we attack as we should full frontal on uh, police abuse. And then when community violence happens, we do full frontal on, on that as well. And, and what we got to say is we can have safety and justice so that we can have a safe community and a community that is just where you don't have to deal with the kind of harassment or, or abuse uh, that we see all too often from um, from police community from from police departments around the country and here in Los Angeles, and so that conversation has to be transformed by uh, getting the community to understand that safety and justice are their birthrights, uh, right. and that when they don't have it, uh, that's a problem of the systems not a problem of the individuals in the community and that the systems have to adjust to the community. The community doesn't have to adjust to the systems. That's right. So thank you for those uh, questions and thank you for the engagement. Uh, you and I are, are both uh, podcast amateurs, but I'm feeling it uh, and, and feeling you. It's a great conversation. I'm excited about it. We're coming uh, to the end of our time. And so we like to do something that's fun. This is a show about South LA and you are a son of South LA or specifically a son of Watts. I, I know the Watts people are, are particular about that. That's right. uh, and That's so right. as a son of Watts and a son of South LA, uh, I got a, a few lightning round questions for you. So that means you, you take a beat and you give an answer and we go to the next one. So here we go. What is your favorite restaurant or two? Um, the uh, Three Worlds Cafe and the Watts Coffee House. There you go. What's the last thing that inspired you? Uh, the last thing that inspired me was uh, my grandkids in, um, in, in D.C. Uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for 4th of July. We had a ball. Nice. Nice. What is your favorite uh, community activity or event? Um, my favorite community activity um, or event is, um, is the community walk. You know, in Newark, anytime there's a shooting or a shooting hit, um, you know, uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, the team goes out. They walk in the neighborhood, they engage residents and families, um, check on folks who, whose, whose trauma might be triggered and um, and bring services directly to them. So, you know, love that event. That's great. That, that's that got to be a, a weekly inspiration. Uh, thank yeah. you so much, Akila. This has uh, been a great conversation. I appreciate your time and mostly appreciate your service and that you've dedicated your life to bringing about a better reality, not just in South LA, but around the, the country. You've given, given us so much to think about and a lot to act on. Uh, with violence surrounding our community, we turn to our police for safety and protection, but at what cost? And what is our involvement? What's our responsibility in that pursuit? The role of police must include building relationships with residents that help reduce racial profiling, anticipate crime, provide public safety, and relationships with the community that lead to less arrest. Police are being questioned about their methods and officers are forced to make tough decisions in order to keep themselves safe. Mistakes are bound to happen, but we can never grow numb or desensitized to the loss of life in our community. We're gonna continue working with LAPD and the sheriffs and all other uh, police departments to 
improve the situation and improve relationships in the community and transform and actually deliver public safety to our communities. One way we know uh, that has been proven to be effective is involving the community in the pursuit of public safety. It's been great uh, to have you with us today. Akila. thank you again. And to our audience, thank you for uh, tuning in to our first inaugural podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and we hope that you'll join us next time for another great conversation with Hope Marquise Harris Dawson.